Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris and... I completed a marathon. Life is a marathon or is it a journey? Uh, are together... you implying that I'm a ghost and that I've ended life or that I clocked life? But together we are Luke's Talk Wine. <laughs> We talk about all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. Hello, Campbell. This week, <laughs> what a week. What a week to be alive and what a week. What a show we've got for you, actually. So this is Season 3, Episode 17. So there's only a few episodes left actually and we have got a week for you this week's topic is what to look for when blind tasting wines and a very pertinent list of question on the back of that actually from uh scrolling down here robert in mulvin writes i'm just getting into wine i want to love it but where do i start Ooh, it's a good question from robert in mulvin um but as always in every episode, what we need to do first is ask Luke Morris what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal. Hi, Campbell. Um, yeah, uh, what's been happening? I did the tally for the hottest one hundred wines. We've got a tally. We've got we've got a final position. Is that right? Yes, we do. Yes, we have we have final results. Do you want to do you want to hear? So in, in the next three episodes, are we going to unveil our top five, like one wine and talk about it and taste it in every episode? Or how are we going to do this? Let, let, let me just put it this way. You know how we agreed that uh, a wine had to have five votes to be the highest 100, like to have like yep. a definitive answer? Um, uh, guess how many wines got five votes? Out of the, there was 23 people entered. Zero. Correct. Zero. Guess how many got four votes? Oh, just sticking with the pattern here, zero. Zero is correct. You are two from two so far. Guess guess how many got three votes? How many wines in the world got voted three times? I'm detecting a pattern here, zero. Zero is correct. You are three from three. You can go for the prize and have a guess of how many wines got voted two votes in the hottest 100 wines of the world i know one thing and that is our audience is drinking diversely so they're listening to us luke morris um well, I'm hopefully say, otherwise it's just you and me yeah pointless <laughs> how many wines how many wines got voted two votes i'm gonna say two wines got voted two votes my god campbell you're bang on Oh yeah! If if we if we exclude Barton Roofing, Barton Home Services, who for some reason I guess that was just the way they wanted to plug their business, they voted for that twice. Um, otherwise, two wines got two votes out of all of the voting. So um, yeah, I'd well, I'd, I'd I'd say in one way that the, the hottest one hundred wines uh, uh, thing has been a a bit more of a fizzer than. Um, Pet Nat. Righto. Well, uh, well Pet, Nat, Pet Nat has survived since Roman times, so maybe next year the Hottest 100 will survive, but we'll just do it in a shorter process. A, a, a shorter process would have meant less votes. 
less time frame. Over less time frame. Well, we had a few weeks leading up to uh, the penultimate episode, which we're still getting to in episode 20. And, uh, you know, like, I think we just, we've discussed this on air before and off air, but like, uh, we, we just stretched it out too much. No, well, we asked people to vote and they didn't. So then we, we, we stretched it out more and more to yeah. try and encourage more people to vote and they didn't. So, well, some people did. 23 people did. So you people are my lovely, heartwarming, uh, encouraging uh, people on the planet. Thank you very much. Um, would you like to hear the two wines? Would you like to hear the two wines that got voted the highest votes in the equal highest in, in the hottest 100? I think we've got to unveil those in the last episode of the year and maybe get a bottle to taste and taste it with the audience, don't we, Luke Morris? Ah, uh, oh, um, yeah. Get a bottle to taste. Okay, well, yeah, you can you you can do that if you can try. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll let you know what they are off off episode then. I don't know if we if it's really worth stringing out to be honest with you, but if we can, we can well, we wouldn't it back you, if you like. Voted for that. The people who uh, have voted, at least everyone gets the benefit from our tasting oats of the wine and we can have some fun in trying to procure it if we can. And, you know, like oh, so, yeah. uh, rather than just, um, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, well, we're, I'll, I'll let you know off air, off air and we can sort out um, uh, sourcing the wines and uh, uh, giving feedback. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Mate, I know on the back of our hectic discussion last week about New Zealand Pinots, you have been running through New Zealand. Uh, and how are you feeling today? Was that yesterday? So you're feeling all right? And then the marathon was two days ago. So yep. y- yesterday I was hobbling and today I'm hobbling a little bit. Um, okay. uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a big effort. I learned a lot. Um, I, I wouldn't say I executed it perfectly, but we, you know, we, the goal was to finish in under four hours, and that was achieved. Um, well, my goal was the running coach said I should be able to do it in in um, less than that. If you want to hear the whole story, I am I'm halfway through editing the uh, the marathon version, the marathon story version of the um, uh, Park Run Life podcast. Oh, yeah. So uh, if, if, if anybody wants, if anybody's not interested or is interested in wine and running, uh, zip over to that podcast and that's, that's where you'll get a, a bit of information. Well, you, you can do, there's one, there's a couple of ways you can approach life. You can just run blind or you can blind taste wine. And that is actually this week's topic, Luke Morris. So it's moving on. you mentioned that because I actually do do, uh, I interview someone who does um, blind, who, who Guided running is what it's called. Yes. You, you run with people who are blind and help them. It's really an interesting story. So, yeah, that's that's worth listening to. But anyway, back to blind tasting. Go for it. Yeah, so blind tasting wines. And I think this is a really good, um, it's a really good topic this week because, you know, people, uh, Robert writes in, he, he's getting into wine. He's learning to taste. And we've covered, you know, how to taste wines on the podcast. And we've covered 
how to what you know what to look for um, in wines that are aging or wines that are selling. You and I are both in, in, in wine clubs and we participate in wine tastings when we can. And generally, generally a lot of the time they're blind, and that means not knowing, not not blind, drunk, and can't speak. Yeah, that's fact, blind. That's why it sounded first time you said it. What do you do when you're blind <laughs> tasting wine? It's like go home, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, we're blind tasting when the label is covered. And so you've got no preconceived idea of a wine. And it's it's actually really important. It's a really important exercise when you're learning. And learning because basically when you're blind tasting a wine, you're getting a mental picture of the shape of a wine or the shape of each variety. Oh. Um, oh, you're talking any- about looking at the bottle. You don't play the bottle. You know that. <laughs> You don't play the bottle, you don't play the man, you just play what's in the glass. They're they're the rules. But any tips, any tricks, Luke Morris? Um, I'll explain the don't play the bottle thing because what that is is if somebody comes along and, you know, a real jerk will do this where they'll decant the wine into a different shaped bottle. So they'll bring a Bordeaux and Bordeaux is a classically thin bottle shape, not thin like um, Riesling. Where it's like tapered to a point, but a, a narrow bottle. Um, and they might decant that into a burgundy bottle shape, which is that fatter base sort of bottled wine. Um, and that throws you off because you will know this, Campbell. Visual, visual is very important in wine to the point that if you want to do the absolute worst to somebody who's tasting wine unknown, you, you pour it to them in a black glass so that they can't see the colour of it at all because there's a lot of um, research that shows that a lot of people can't tell the difference between red and white wine based on taste alone. Visual is... The body is always looking for visual clues. And so if you if you get poured a red wine and you can see it's red wine, but you look at the bottle and you think, well, that's a Bordeaux... That, that's a burgundy bottle shape. It's definitely not from Bordeaux then. You can be off. You can be wrong. You can be thinking this wine is a unique sort of Pinot Noir and it's made from Cabernet. You know, it's 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 that influential, the visuals that you get. So um, assuming you don't, you're not working for a jerk who's doing that to you, changing bottles and, and pouring things into dark glasses, um, Yes, the first thing to do is look at the colour of the wine. It, 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 you'd be surprised how much that will tell you. It will, tell, it will help tell you how old something is, depending on how faded it is. And to some certain degrees, it might even help tell you, how, help explain what the, what the wine itself is. Because I have, I have uh, identified wine just through a picture somebody showed me. Because <laughs> I went, uh, well, that looks like South Australian Shiraz from here. And they said it, well, it is. <laughs> it's just got that distinct colour. Yeah, well, it's the same, you know, if you're drinking kind of a, an old Rioja or something like that or, a, a, you know, uh, Grenache, they can get that kind of orangey rim. So colour is really important. But it's also important to know that there are, for all the wankery and all the snobbery that goes on, there aren't that many people in the world that can go, all right, this is a Argentina 
you know, Malbec from Mendoza picked on the seventh Sunday of Lent by Russian goat herders. Like, you know, there are a few master sommeliers and MWs in the world who can do that sort of thing. But for most of us, you know, lay people or consumers, we actually work out what it's not first and work backwards. So we we work out that, you know, if we're looking at that Argentina Malbec, we work out that it's not Pinot. We, we work out that it's not Grenache. And we start eliminating things that it's not until we're left with fruit forward varieties like Shiraz or like that's why we, that's but if why you're blind tasting options isn't it that's why when you when you're blind tasting you're often the person whose wine it is I mean I assume you're talking about that scenario where, where we're playing options yeah and somebody's giving you three or four usually just three options of what the wine is and then you know that's again that process of elimination yeah, and I think if you're just getting into the blind tasting and you're doing, you know, lineups of one variety at a time, Australian Shiraz is a great example. It's just if you stick to the basics, because the wheels can come off. So Luke's already mentioned, Maury's just mentioned colour, you know, mention um, uh, aromatics, but just just stick to the basics. So what does it smell? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? Take note of that. Men- take a mental picture of those characteristics. And just be disciplined with it. The next time you look at a wine, look at look at the colour, smell the aroma, take notes on the taste, and just repeat it. And you know, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah, yeah. It's Don't... that thing that if you're smelling something and you think, "Oh, gee, this smells a lot like uh, capsicum or something," then you should have tasted enough uh, cabernets that have a capsicum smell to them, and you've made enough notes using the word capsicum that the first thing into your brain is, well, let's just add two and two together. It's red, smells like capsicum. I use those things together all the time and I talk about Cabernet. Therefore, this is most likely Cabernet. Yeah, you're right on. And, you know, the other thing is, the hint for blind tasting wines is taste first and and then guess. Like, don't just stick your nose in it and go, oh, right, this is Shiraz. Taste it first, chew it around your mouth, and just ponder it for a minute. Don't you don't have to second guess yourself, but just taste first and then guess. Like so, a lot of people, even in the tray, people just stick their snozz in it and go, "Ah, oh, well, this is Shiraz," and it's actually it might often be a Shiraz blend, or it might be a Grenache um, with some um, Shiraz in it. Or, or what's you know, it? Like, what's it taking? So people pouring blends. It's always important. To uh, What's your take with people serving blends of that sort of thing? Because that's like, I think that's just that's just a really like jerkish sort of thing to do. Unless it's you know you're talking about region regions like Bordeaux and you know everything's a blend. But when when somebody goes now, is this Grenache or is it a Grenache based blend? Yeah, I, I think if if the theme is enough, if the theme is shut enough to pat, you're gonna expect a blend. If the theme is Grenache, you're probably going to expect a straight variety. Like, uh, yeah, what's my take on it? I think it's it's a bit harsh. I think particularly if you're learning and you're just getting into yeah. wine, and it's, um, yeah, stick to straight varieties because that'll help you. That'll help your palate no end, and it'll help you get a a, a good picture. Uh, I always call it this kind of rolodex of varieties in my mind's eye you know that like you Murray, i've had plenty of experience tasting wines and you know capsicum is a great 
uh, card placeholder for Cabernet. And it just, I just roll around my head going, oh, there's no fruit poured sweetness, Grenache is out. Oh, there's no cherry cola. Tempranillo is out. Oh, there's capsicum. Ooh, could be Cabernet. You know, so, yeah. um, and that that's the kind of way it works. But the, the tasting and the knowledge go hand in hand, really. So oh, the knowledge is very, and, and that's just stepping back a bit about don't give blenders an option so yeah. much as if it's from a region because the, the whole purpose of this sort of thing is really not to show off how much you know about wine but to educate. So you're not really educating if you, like, bring something so unique and uh, an unusual blend of, you know, 18 different grape varietals that no one on the planet has ever tasted and then say, can you guess yeah. what this is? I, 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 no, I, why? <laughs> What's, what are you trying to prove with that? Knowledge, um, like you said, like you said, knowledge is really important because I think um, when I do that sort of blind tasting, I'm not so, I'm just not just drawing from what my taste buds tell me. It's, it's a lot of what what's my experience. What what do I remember? What do I know about this region, this potential region, and the and the wineries in that region, and and the vintages that those wineries faced to potentially you know, work your way back to what this wine is. And and, and even when you do, it, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know. Like, um, <laughs> I, I'm particularly good on Italian vintages and I'm getting better at the Burgundian vintages, but you, you end up second and third guessing yourself. And it's, it, it, yeah, I, I think a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. So there's a fine line you've, you've got to walk. Mori, what have we got for our list of question this week? So I love this question, actually. Rob, Rob, Rob from Melbourne writes, I'm getting into wine. I really want to love it. Where do I start? Um, and don't, I'm not going to say Riesling and you're not going to say Central Victorian Shiraz. So <laughs> what do we help Rob with? Robert here, what, what have we got for him? Where does he start? He wants to love wine. What does he start with, Mori? I'm confused. Why, do, why does he want to love wine? I don't. I don't know what's what. what, what. We don't um, have the background, but assume assume maybe his partner loves wine. Maybe his work uh, colleagues are really enjoying wine. Maybe he works in a wine bar. Like who knows? Um, I don't have the background here. Um, but what I can help him with is where does he where does he start? How does he get into it? As far as what to drink, what type of what type of wines, what's best for him? What's going to be the most? Uh, yeah, I just the, the, so the reason I asked that question. And propose, you know, why is because you either, if 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 you if you're going to approach it as something that you want to love, it's like trying to say, you know, Scarlett Johansson. I don't find her that fantastically attractive. Everybody else thinks she's fantastic, and I should love her as a as a as a as a as an uh, an object. I suppose is really when, when you look at it that way fantastically attractive objects the person but you don't have to just because other people are trying to make it i prefer um annabelle crab she's fantastic i like her um i don't know if that if that really makes any sense to you but if if it makes no that <laughs> makes no sense it's it's um, about it's, it's about saying if 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 you find something interesting you have to you, you have to have your own reasons for that i, I don't know if you, if you want to find wine interesting try a lot 
read a bit, but if you don't stumble across something that's taking your fancy, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to persuade somebody to, to like something that they don't already like. Robert's probably the guy that stares endlessly at wine shells before choosing a bottle or looking at the label and just grabbing the brightest thing. But how to know if a wine, you know, it's how to know what the right wine is. We're not certainly going to tell you that, Robert. But a great place to start is with some of the lighter body wines. So, you know, uh, Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio is a light to medium white wine. You know, aromas of pear and citrus and honeysuckle taste delicious with lighter foods. That's that's a great white wine to start with. Um, you know, I, I think either we mentioned Grenache earlier in the show. Again, a medium-bodied um, uh, red wine with, with wonderful fruit characteristics and just you know, a little bit, little touches of earth and little touches of, of um, vibrant cut flowers and. Just very versatile Grenache, low low on the uh, acid. Pinot Noir, of course, is a great place, to, a great wine to start with because it's lighter bodied. It's not too bold, perfect for beginners. Um, Do you, you think know, so, it's, though? It's, it's quite well, versatile if, as well. If, if somebody loves bourbon and Coke, I wouldn't recommend that the first wine they taste is a Beaujolais or a, a Gamay or, or something lighter. I'd say I need to serve you a, a McLaren Vale Shiraz. That would be well, your entry uh, into wine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I always ask if so, if somebody, as a sommelier, if somebody sits in front of me and says, oh, I don't really like wine, but I want to taste wine, I always ask them what they drink usually. And some people might say mineral water, <laughs> might say bourbon and coke. And it's at that point I'll be able to kind of find a wine to guide them. We didn't have that detail with Rob, so I'm just giving you some light-bodied examples to get into. But, yeah, no, um, that's, that's fair. That's, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd go to a few tastings then. Um, the, I don't know what I, don't, I assume. There's still tastings around Melbourne. There used to be, you know, Friday night or Saturday afternoon was some sort of tasting. You know, people could drive around to the wine shops in Melbourne and then and, and do their tastings for the for the weekend. That used to be. Yeah, thing. lots of. Retailers still still do the odd tasting of a Saturday morning or, or things like that. Absolutely, yeah. Go go to that, and um, if you can find something you like amongst there, then you then you can you can use that as your launching pad. That's yeah. probably the way to look at it, mate. Over there in New Zealand, what what have you been drinking? Have you had a chance to get stuck into the local product? Uh, I did. I, I tried some. Um, I tried some. I did only try some. I had a, had a glass of uh, Mount Difficulty Pinot last night. That yeah. was nice. Um, shared a, a champagne on Saturday with a couple of people around the, the um, Marathon Drift. And I, I think I did. I send you the photograph of uh, drinking it out of a um, coffee mug. It's, just, just to annoy the crap out of you. That was the main reason I did that. <laughs> um, uh, but that's that's about it. I've been rehydrating with, with a bunch of water and just going into. There is a place though in so I'm in Queenstown. If anybody is working in hospitality, listening to this, or anybody wants to work in hospitality, or Rob, if you want a job in hospitality, where you're going to get you know a, a, a flood of culture about the booze industry. 
come to Queenstown because absolutely every bar has a staff wanted sticker on the, in the front window. There's a there's a there's a huge need for staff over here. I'm I'm tempted to move. It's a lovely place, but there's a, there's a wine shop that has a, a Hawks Bay Tariga on tasting. Ooh. So I think I have to go over there and find out what the what the fuss is about that because that's a um, that's a very unusual thing to discover. I know actually I'm saying Hawks Bay. I'm not. I can't remember if it's a hundred percent from Hawks Bay, but yeah, Tariga National from uh, New Zealand. Don't see that every day. What's going on there? Say that every day. I guess the Hawks is probably the warmest part of the island where it can sustain something like Tariga National. Yeah, I think I just guessed it. That has to be true because otherwise, what are you doing, Marlborough Tariga? That doesn't make sense. But you know, yeah. subregions are subregions for a reason. What do you? What? What have you been um, inviting? Oh, no, been overindulging. I, I, I imbibed um, yesterday actually on something rare, but. Equally delicious it was the 2021 head case Vinden skin contact of all things Gewurz Tremina. So a Hunter Valley Gewurz wow. Tremina. Talk about subregionality. And I was thinking this was going to be, you know, like full and uh, off dry and all that kind of pop free Turkish delight kind of character. Um, and, you know, I was having it with a bit of a tortilla and a cheesy tortilla for lunch and some salad and i thought oh this would be perfect actually you know like and i opened it and as well as being textural and intensely aromatic well it was very different for the hunter it was bone dry so it was about 11 percent lunchtime wine as we call it in the industry you have a bottle and go back to work after lunch no problem 11 percent maury and this wine so how's it how's knowing it bone dry at 11 percent that's mate it was so perplexing a wine but so this vineyard comes off a limestone volcanic i know that i know the side it comes from i couldn't believe it but it was um yeah it just had all this kind of lime curd and potpourri kind of characteristic as it as it warmed up it got all rosy like you would expect but oh my gosh it was bone dry i mean i'd say bone dry it probably had a you know maybe five grams six grams residual about a beer's worth of residual sugar in it but oh my gosh, it was a really curious drink, albeit delicious with food, but um, it just really had me perplexed. It, it, um, nice all the same. I really love what Angus Vinton, he's a young winemaker from from the Hunter. I really love what Angus is doing and he's just having a go and you've got to, got to respect that uh, yeah. having a go. Oh, it sounds like, well, it sounds unique for Gewurz. Hey, hey so, so it's slightly move topic on there but i went into a wine shop and i was looking at some pinot green i thought i, I wouldn't mind a, a bottle of pinot green and i thought rather than me pick blindly from all these producers who i don't know i asked the the staff because obviously the staff knows more than me because it's their shop but then i got the pe- peculiar question of do you want a sweet green or a dry one and i thought in my head i was like well, it's Germanic Pinot Gris. going to have a little bit of sweetness. So I said, oh, yeah, a little bit of sweetness. And then they were like, no, I don't know. I don't know which would have that. I was like, shouldn't they all? The Pinot Gris. What's, what, what, am I mad? What's, what's going on here? Uh, if, you have, if you have an Alsatian Pinot Gris, they generally have a scale on the back of them nowadays, which which 
it'll be from dry to fruity. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, they, they are dry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the most yeah. part? I was just they're, expecting. They're if you put in Pinot Green, the label, you, you, you're drawing from the Alsatian. Otherwise, it's Pinot Grigio and it's dry. I don't understand. Oh, no. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. So, so you would expect Pinot Grigio to be dry and racy. Expect that uh, Pinot Gris to be a little bit fuller and have a little bit more fruit. But yeah. you know, as far as sugar, I wouldn't expect that much. No, not a lot of sugar. But I, you know, I wouldn't expect a, a anyway plenty bone dry thing. But that's the same sort of thing. Gravettes, I wouldn't expect that to be too flinty and that. Yeah, I expect that a bit of luscious lusciousness to it. Lusciousness yeah. for Gravert's Tramina yeah. sounds lovely. Yes, well, that's that's what I was expecting, but it wasn't what it was revealed. But that's all right. That's what makes the wine world go round. <laughs> and so ends another week, actually. Another week. What a week to be alive. And this has been Luke's Talk Wine. Not one mention of Riesling in the whole show, but Luke Morris... Mate, thank you very much for joining us live from Queenstown. Yes. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to make your acquaintance once again. And <laughs> for this uh, to a close, I just want to say thank you to the listening audience. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me at vinified underscore wine underscore services. Uh, reach out with your questions as we head towards episode 20. What do we got? So this is uh, 17. We've got 18, 19, 20. We've got three episodes left uh, of the year, which will take us out and close. And in the words of the famous and ever-present, omnipresent Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Bye. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine www.finified.com.au